Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. How you guys doing? Man, it is awesome to be here. Who's pumped to be here? Wow. Uh, last weekend was incredible. I, I've just all week I've been hearing stories of people who were prayed for and things that God did in their lives. And so we love that. Uh, it's amazing. Just be in prayer this week for what God's going to do next weekend. But today we're going to be back in our Gospel of Mark series. Uh, who's been learning a lot through this series? Who knows that we're in this series, right? It's been a while. <laughs> Okay, Mark 3. Today we're Mark 3, verses 7 through 19. And if you didn't get notes when you came in, just raise your hand and our ushers will get those to you. But we're going to begin today, jump right into our passage, starting in verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. And because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to then he gave the name Bonegers, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray together. God, I just pray this morning as we as we go into your word, I pray that you would speak to us, that we'd be open and receptive, that we'd be listening for your voice and what it is that you desire for us to walk away with and to take away and to learn, that we would leave with some steps that we could take that would make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's walk through this passage. Here we have Jesus, and he's withdrawn to a lake, and a large crowd's following, following him. They hear about what he's doing, and so they're coming from all over. And when I first moved here to the Bay in 2012, the Giants won the World Series. And that was when I first started falling in love with baseball. It was just so fun. Do we have any Giants fans in the house? Probably more A's fans. Um, hopefully no Dodgers fans. I know we have a few. Um, yeah, we're Bay Area fans, OK? You can be uh, an A's fan, a Giants fan. You can be a, a Warriors fan, a Sharks fan, a Raiders fan. Uh, you can even be a 49ers fan, OK? We're, we're Bay Area fans. We're, we're, here we are, all united under God's house. Um, we're Team Jesus, right? But, the, but I remember watching this, and it was so exciting. Like I never watched a, you know, a team that I was rooting for win a World Series. And then a few years later, 
I was in the city when they won it, and I was down at the Civic Center, and there's this huge jumbo screen, and everybody's cheering and shouting, having such a good time. Next thing you know, in the Mission District, people are lighting couches on fire. Like, I don't know why they're lighting couches on fire. Like, all of a sudden, your team's winning, and you're doing illegal things. You're, like, I had some matches in my hand. <laughs> I didn't, really. Uh, but this is a lot like this, minus the burning couches. Uh, people are coming to Jesus, and this whole area is being overrun with crowds. And they weren't coming for religious reasons. They weren't coming because they loved Jesus. They didn't even really know who he was. The main reason that people came flocking to Jesus from all sides is because he could heal them. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright said, in a world where medical skill was by our standards extremely primitive. Someone who appeared to be able to heal almost anyone of almost anything caused a stampede. Word went around from village to village and region to region, and they didn't have the internet or social media or TV, but word of mouth was really effective. I think word of mouth is still one of the main ways that things spread today. It's so effective. A friend of mine goes to a church, and he told me that that his pastor said, hey, we don't, we don't ever ask you to invite people. And I just thought that was so weird. Like, we want you to invite people, guys. <laughs> like, we're not that good, but God is, and your friends need to know about him. Okay, so we spread the word, we invite people, and word of mouth is spreading, and people are coming to Jesus, and suddenly this little town is overrun with people who are eager to be cured. Verse 10, it says, for he had healed many, so that those with disease were pushing forward to touch him. Number one in your notes, crowds gather because of what can be done for them. Crowds gather because of what can be done for them. It sounds selfish, doesn't it? That the reason all these people were coming really wasn't spiritual. It wasn't noble at all. They came because of what Jesus could or might do for them. And others came because they wanted to watch. I mean, Jesus was the most famous person on the planet. He's doing things nobody can do. He's saying things that are super controversial and and way against everything they've heard or been taught growing up. And they're they're coming to watch. They want to see. How many of us come to Jesus for similar reasons? Who doesn't come to Jesus hoping that that he has something for them? Or show up to church with an expectation See, maybe you hit your lowest low or you're just trying to find something that can help you. You've tried everything and spiritually nothing's working out. You might feel totally empty. Maybe you found significance in your career for a while. Maybe you just found it in hitting big life milestones. I mean, for a while, getting married, having kids, getting a house, those are exciting things. But still, at the end of the day, there's a hole that those things can't fill. Or maybe you're lonely. Maybe you need friends. You, you come, you heard that, hey, the church is a good place to find community. There's people there that are, that are supposed to be accepting and nice, and I'm lonely. Or, you know, everybody needs somebody that notices when they're not around, that notices when they're not doing so well, or they need some encouragement that says, hey, man, let me encourage you. Let's talk. Let's grab some coffee. Let's see what's going on. But whatever it is that's drawing you in, for whatever reason, whether, whatever self-focused reason that drew the crowds to Jesus, there's something that you need to know. Jesus didn't rebuke them. It didn't bother him why they were coming. Jesus loved the crowds because the crowds represented people that he would one day give his life for. Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless 
like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. Yesterday, Marcy and I went to the Livermore Outlets, and I'm never going back. I mean, it was crazy. Like, I'm just, we're in the Nike outlet, and you can't even find your size without four people walking by you. They just, like, cram everything in there. Um, so if you love the outlets, I'm sorry. But you won't find me there. Now, we're there, and we're, and we're walking up, and I see this guy, and he's part of the staff, and he's cleaning up trash, and he's emptying these bins, and his head's just down, and he looks so discouraged. But he had a Raiders jacket on, so I, I ran back to the car, and I got, the, I got a flyer for next Sunday. But the, the, the part of why I did it, I just had a soft spot. My brother's special needs, and he has cerebral palsy. And this guy was walking with, like, the same limp. You could totally tell that he was special needs, too. And so I invited him, and his whole countenance changed. He was so thankful. He, he, he started smiling. He was so happy, but he was, he was harassed and helpless. Do you see the people around you that are harassed and helpless, God's heart moves for those people. He's filled with compassion for those people. Being part of the crowd isn't a bad thing. If you're here today for the first time or you're just checking things out or you're new to faith, you need to know that God's glad you're here and so, so are we. We're glad that you're here. Sometimes a person can't understand the truth and until they experience what it can do in their lives. Yeah. Scripture says, come and see that the Lord is good. Come and see what good things God can do in your life. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, in fact, we were all part of the crowd at one time or another. But Jesus offers us so much more than being part of the crowd. He invites us to be near him. He invites us to come and to follow him. So see what happens next. Verse 11, it says, Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Demons are calling out and they're announcing who he is. They're saying, you're the son of God. And Jesus tells them to be quiet because he doesn't want his identity revealed yet. He doesn't want the crowds to all know who he is. Number two, great acts of love escalate the conflict between good and evil. See, Mark doesn't let us forget that though it's a beautiful day, blue skies, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping, people are coming to Jesus, they're being healed, this is amazing, but there was still some darkness around. There was still an enemy with another agenda at play. Jesus, his extraordinary healing powers are on full display. He's operating in the supernatural, in the spiritual. He's not healing people like a doctor. He's healing people like only God can. And once you engage on a spiritual level, when you start doing things through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will meet your enemies. It escalates the conflict between good and evil. So what's going on here? Let's unpack this a little bit. What are these unclean spirits that are working through human bodies? Um, calling these forces unclean spirits is a way of saying two things about them. Number one, they're non-physical powers that operate upon and sometimes within a person. And number two, they defile the one they inhabit, making a person behave in ways that are untrue to their calling as a human being. And so these spirits, they know when they're in the presence of a power greater than themselves. They recognize in Jesus not just a great healer, but a spiritual power and a presence that's of an altogether different order than themselves. And so what do they do? They start yelling out his identity. They start yelling out, you're the son of God. They start telling people who he is. Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, the true king of Israel. And when they do this, 
This is fighting talk. They're picking a fight with Jesus. If word were to get around that the healer was calling himself uh, by royal titles, Herod would have found out, and he wouldn't have liked that, and it would have escalated his journey to the cross before it was time. See, Jesus still had some things to do. So he tells him to be quiet. But then Jesus does something totally surprising in verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called to those that he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. See, lakes were places of rest. It's kind of like for our family, that's Lake Tahoe, right? Did anybody, Lake Tahoe, anybody? Yeah, yeah. You guys with me? Okay, lakes, lakes are places of rest, but mountains, the hills, were for something totally different. These were high places, they were places of worship, and they were also places where people went to plot revolutions. This goes back to the time of Moses when, when God gave him the Ten Commandments on the top of a mountain. When Jesus does this, when he goes up on this hillside, this is one of his most revolutionary acts. Uh, how many of you know exactly how many people work in the White House? I, I know it's a, lot, a little harder to tell these days, right? But how many, like the exact number of people, who knows that? I, I was talking to my brother, and I mentioned this, and, and he Googled it, and he said 3,366, and he goes, tell them, that'll impress them. <laughs> or how many, how many of you know how many counties are in the United States? Like the exact amount of counties, not states, but counties. Like we don't know these things because these numbers don't carry a lot of significance for us. But every Jewish person knew that there were 12 tribes in Israel, or at least there used to be. Uh, these 12 corresponded uh, more or less with Jacob, the patriarch in Genesis, and 10 of the tribes were wiped out 700 years before this. They were carried off by the Assyrians. But the prophets, the prophets of the Jewish people, they spoke of a time where they would be a great nation once again, where the tribes would be restored. So when Jesus calls not three, not seven, not 10, but 12, everyone knew what he was doing. Nobody could have missed it. He was saying more clearly than words could say with his actions, he was saying, this isn't just a healing mission. This isn't just spiritual renewal. This is the restoration of all things. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Like Mark said at the beginning in chapter one, this is the beginning of the good news about the Messiah. And it's being revealed now at every level. It's happening spiritually, physically, socially, inevitably, politically. And this is what we're seeing in our world today. This is what the power of the gospel can do. Jesus is saying this is war when he calls up his soldiers. Jesus went up into the hills for the same reason that others did at this time. He went up into the hills to shape his followers into a truly revolutionary group. And he needed to do this away from the prying eyes of the authorities and the religious leaders. He took them to a place where he could shape them, where he could teach them. And this is really important for us to catch because today as followers of Jesus, we are the disciples. We are these people that God wants to shape, that he wants to make into something that we aren't right now. Jesus wants to shape us into women and men who will change the world in our time like his first disciples. So number three, followers are given access and knowledge that the crowd doesn't have. 
See, the crowds weren't ready. They were all at different places, but Jesus knew that he could build with these guys. These were, these were people that were starting to see what the kingdom was all about. It's kind of like this. Um, who, who's good at catching a baseball? What kind of people are good at catching baseballs? Um, it's not a trick question. When I got a, my first baseball glove, my dad and I remember we were playing catch in the front lawn and we're throwing the ball back and forth. And then this plane flies by. And so I'm looking at this plane and by my loving, kind, amazing dad, he throws the ball back at me and bam, it hits me in the face. And we've had trust issues ever since. <laughs> Not really. But people who catch baseballs, they have their eyes on the ball. They're watching for the ball. So Jesus chose some people from the crowd to follow him who had their eyes on him. They were watching what he was doing. See, some of us, we experience times where our passion for following Jesus, it fades because we've gotten distracted by some planes flying by. Like Peter, when Jesus, there's a story where one of his disciples, they're out on a lake and Jesus is walking on water. He's demonstrating his power. He's doing something incredible. And then he says to Peter, hey, come to me. Come out on the water. And Peter walks out on the water, and he's doing it too. He's got his eyes on Jesus. But the moment he takes his eyes off Jesus, he realizes how impossible what he's doing is. And he starts to sink. And he starts to become consumed by the water. This is what happens when God starts to do impossible things in our lives. We've, that is not the time to take your eyes off Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. A mentor of mine once told me, that, you know those WWJD bracelets? Um, I think they're great, but he told me one time, he said, you know, I don't, I don't ever ask the question, what would Jesus do? Because by the time I figured out the answer, the moment's passed, and the presence of God is in me, and I can act and respond in a situation the way Jesus would, but if I'm all caught up thinking about it, I mean, any, any kind of thinkers in the house, like I could get totally caught up thinking way too much, and I just need to act. I just need to do what God would do. Are you ready to catch the ball? Are your eyes on Jesus? See, some of us need to stop looking at the people around us and comparing ourselves to what God's doing in their lives because God's trying to do some things through our lives. Are you ready to catch the ball? Are your eyes on Jesus? Uh, for others, it's just a little too much pleasure. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, we love having fun. Uh, one of our values around here is to laugh. Like, as a staff, we want to laugh together. We want to we joke. We want to have fun. But for some of us, we're just, we're just having a little too much pleasure. It's like we're, we're watching the plane, and we want to be on the plane, and we've got all these trips and all these things, and we're always gone. And God's saying, hey, I need you here. Like, you can go away this weekend or that weekend. You know, that, that's fine. But have you asked yourself, hey, God, is there something I'm missing out? Is there something you need me here for? Are you ready to catch the ball? Are your eyes on Jesus? By the way, I love to travel. That's not my point there. Um, but in the rest of these verses, we see an incredible list of men that God used mightily in their time. And I just want to read their names. Verse 16, I just want to read this again. It says, these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. We're here today, 2,000 years later, reading about these men because in their lifetime, they were ready to catch the ball. They were given access that no one had, and they went up into the hills. They left it all 
to learn from their rabbi, to be taught and to be shaped into a group of people that could change the world. So what can we learn from their story? Lastly, number four, moving from crowd to follower is an all-in commitment. You are God's plan for this region. You are God's plan for this state. You are God's plan for the world. And notice it says Jesus sent them to preach. So let's unpack this a little bit. Mathematically, we can't all preach one to crowd. There aren't enough crowds. Uh, But what are we as followers supposed to do? There are 33 Greek words in the New Testament, usually translated preaching or proclaiming. And what's interesting is a lot of these words used to describe these activities can't all be public speaking. For example, in Acts 8, 4, it says that all the Christians except the apostles went from place to place proclaiming the Messiah. And this word uh, can't mean that this can't mean that every believer was, was finding crowds and, and doing this. They were all doing it. Acts 18.26 says, Priscilla and Aquila explained the word of Christ to Apollos in their home. And so I was reading this book by Timothy Keller called Preaching, and he talks about how we can discern three levels of word ministry. And he goes into a lot more detail, but there's basically three categories. First, we have one-to-one. And this is the most common. This is the most active. I mean, imagine just in this room full of people, the impact that we have one-to-one. The kind of impact, it it goes far beyond what can even happen in this room. So one-to-one, one-to-small group, and one-to-crowd. And so in this particular passage, when when Jesus says that he's sending them out to preach and to cast out demons, it's talking about a type of preaching that's an announcement. It's like saying, hey, come join me at Easter at Brave. Come join me on on social media or in person. It's talking about how your life should preach, how your life should point to Jesus. So how does your life preach? There's this universal principle found in the Bible that says that if you're faithful faithful in little, you'll be ruler over much. Are you going to put your time your money, your talents, the things that God's given you where it counts. Let's not forget that these guys left everything to follow. To the extent that you're willing to give your life to this, God can do great things through you. If you're faithful with little, you'll be ruler over much. See, God doesn't, he doesn't force us. Faithfulness is a choice. It's, it's the right thing, but he doesn't force us. There's a chart that I want to go over It's a crowd versus follower comparison. I just want to illustrate for us, excuse me, what this looks like. So imagine with me that on this side of the stage, this represents being part of the crowd. And on this side of the stage, this is following Jesus. This is being, you know, and and there's varying degrees. There's space in between. There's grace. But there's, there's part of the crowd and there's follower of Jesus. When you're part of the crowd, you're attending. Right? You got to show up to be part of the crowd, right? You're, you're here on Sundays, or maybe you're in a home church, you're attending. But when you're a follower of Jesus, you're asking, where can I serve? You're saying, how can I get involved? What can I do? How can I help other people? When you're part of the crowd, it's mostly about me. Everything you look at, it's through this lens, this filter. You know, am I getting fed? Do I like the music? Do I like the lights? Why did they look at me that way? Why did they, you know? I don't know. Uh, when you're a follower of Jesus, it's, hey, what, what, what can I do? How can I, how can I help others? What, what's going on over there? Man, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe I should go encourage them. Maybe that's why they looked at me that way, right? Maybe it has nothing to do with me. It's a different mindset. 
when you're part of the crowd, you experience God on Sundays. You know, Sundays is a time you get, and there's nothing wrong with that. You come in, you get filled up, you're excited, you're encouraged, but then that's it, and you got to wait till next Sunday. But when you're a follower of Jesus, you get filled every day. You experience God on Monday. You experience God on Tuesday. You have a, a relationship with God. You learn to hear his voice, and he speaks to you. It's an incredible thing. When you're part of the crowd, you're asking, what can I get? When you're a follower of Jesus, you're asking, what can I give? You hear about a need, and you see yourself as the solution to that need, because you heard about it. When you're part of the crowd, your growth is unintentional. It just happens randomly. You happen to be there. You happen to see that thing on Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is. It's just random. When you're a follower of Jesus, it's intentional. Jesus took these guys up into the hills. That's pretty intentional, right? When you're, when you're following Jesus and your growth is intentional, you can ask your spouse or you can ask your family or your close friends. You can say, hey, do I see more like Jesus this year than I did last year? Right? Do I, I want to be more like Jesus next month than I was now. You keep growing throughout your entire lifetime. And when you get to heaven, that's one of the greatest gifts we present to God is our character, is who we become. Brave church, how are you doing? For some of you, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, but your life looks more like the left column, more like the crowd. For some, for some of us, maybe there are some steps that we need to take in our lives to move away, to transition from the crowd because God's calling us out to more. So hear me. We don't want anything from you. We don't. But God wants a great deal for you, and we believe in that. There are aspects of your spiritual journey that won't make sense until you experience them, until you take action. If you heard nothing last week when Derek was speaking, I hope you heard what he said about obedience. Because you can't follow Jesus if you're not willing to go where he leads you. At that point, you're not following anymore. These aren't just things that I made up. This is in the Bible. If you're, if you're leaving the crowd to follow Jesus, you're more than attending. You're all in. You're serving. You're giving. You're engaged. And, and you know, we have so much to celebrate what God's doing around here. When, when, you're, when you're following Jesus, you're celebrating those things. You're hearing the, the stories. You're imagining what God could do through us. You're not critiquing the church. You're not analyzing every little thing. You're, you're pumped because you're a part of the win. So how do we move from crowd to follower? Uh, What are some practical ways that you can go all in? For some, it's putting our money and our resources in. It's going from giving something to tithing or from tithing to being generous. Um, Last Sunday, I shared a need that we want to get our teaching online. And to meet to do that, we need some video equipment. And so uh, somebody responded to that. And they said, hey, I'm going to give $2,000 to that. We think it's going to take around 10. We're, not, we're still doing a lot of research and all of that. But someone, someone responded. They said, I want to give $2,000 to that. And so I told that to someone else. And they said, I'll match it. So then we're up to four. And then I told that to someone else. And they said, I'll match it too. So now we're up to six in a day. Isn't that inc- incredible? Yeah, but you might be here and you're thinking, wow, like $2,000. That's my whole paycheck. Like I, I'd love to, to do that, but I can't. That's not the point. The point is that you're all in. It's about your heart. Where is your heart? Think about it. Uh, You can't take money with you when you die. See, some of us, we're storing up treasures on earth, and we're hoarding them. But you have no control over what happens when you're gone. Some of us are storing up treasures in heaven. See, the thing that we're all going to be held accountable to is what we did with our resources while we were here. 
It matters very little when we're gone. And I don't have a poverty mentality. I don't, I'm not saying that it's more holy to be poor. That's so not what I'm saying. I'm not saying God wants you to be poor. I'm also not saying God wants you to be rich. I'm saying God just wants your heart. He wants to know that you're all in. Are you guys all in? Yeah. All right. There's no better investment than the church. This is God's vehicle for changing the world. Do you see what God's doing here? Are you a part of that win? See, we're doing this thing. We're helping people find and follow Jesus. For some of you, the next step is to go to the fast track or complete the fast track to get on the team. You know, if you miss step one, who cares? Come to step two today. Like, you're welcome at step two. Step two is awesome. It's all about discovering your purpose. For others, it's getting baptized. It's going public with your faith. We're going to have a baptism in a few weeks. It's going to, it's going to be an opportunity for you to do that. For some, it's a, it's a heart and an attitude adjustment for next Sunday. It's saying, hey, I know there's going to be a lot of people. It's not about my comfort. I'll give up my seat. I'll go see if someone needs help. I'll give up my seat for someone who hasn't heard the gospel because I've already heard it. I was um, already planning on talking about that. God just put it on my heart this week. But yesterday, I got a text from someone, and she was asking if she can serve or if we need any help. And then she volunteered her husband. And I don't know if he knows. But I think that's kind of awesome. Like, volunteer your spouses. Serve one, sit one, serve two, sit one, whatever that looks like. Be part of the win. Be part of what God's doing. It feels so good when you drive away from here tired. It feels so good. Earn your nap, right? <laughs> Unless you have little kids and you just don't get one. I don't know. Are you ready to leave the crowd? The first step in leaving the crowd is to make peace with God. I know some of you here are ready to do that, and that's where you're at. I, I want to ask you two questions, but first, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me as we, as we close we're going to have a time of worship, but visualize with me your relationship with Jesus. Where are you on this spectrum? Are you part of the crowd or are you stepping towards him? Maybe you're right up next to him. But visualize with me where you are and where do you want to be? If you're here today and you want to decide to follow Jesus for the first time, you want to go all in. I just want to invite you to raise your hand so I know you're making that decision. This isn't to embarrass you or call you out. I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. That is awesome. That is so awesome. For those of us who are already following Jesus uh, and those who just decided, let's repeat this prayer together. God, today I decide to follow you. For you to come into my heart to make you Lord of my life. I'm all in. For others of you today, you're following Jesus, but you haven't left the crowd, or he's calling you further from it. And if that's where you're at today, I just want you to raise your hand so that I see the decision you're making, that you're going all in. Just, yeah, raise your hands up. Raise your hands. If that's where you're at, that's awesome. We're in this together. God, I thank you that, that you have placed each and every one of us here for a reason, for a purpose, and that we get to live this adventure with a God who loves us. There is no greater adventure, there's no greater peace than what you offer that we know. And God, I just pray that your love would spread from this hill, that your love would spread across this valley, that you would use us, that we would, that we would look back on this season and go, wow, look what God did. That you would continue to do more. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.